Praise God, sir. Thank you. Thank Amen. Hallelujah. Good morning, all. If you turn to 1 Corinthians a moment, we'll open up there. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I don't know if you've ever seen the film um, The Man with Two Brains with Steve Martin. Have you seen that? It's absolutely hysterical. Well, by the time you finish this morning, you're going to think you're going to need two brains, I'm afraid. At some point in our Christian lives, we need to look at the material we look at this morning. You know, the scripture says this, the word of God makes wise the simple. Amen? So it doesn't matter like uh, how complicated something in scripture might be. It doesn't matter how far you, know, you might think it is from you. It is not. The word of God makes wise the simple. It means no matter what's in here, I can get it doesn't matter if I'm an academic flop. I can get it when it comes to Scripture. Amen? So I, I, I say that because our material this morning is a little complicated. But I, I, I've met so many people who fall for that trap and think that they, they can't understand the things of the Scriptures or don't even try, don't work academically hard to bring in knowledge. And the Bible warns us about that. We must grow in knowledge. We must add to our knowledge. And let me put it like this. Look at me a moment. What we're going to look at this morning is less complicated than first-year chemistry in school. Less complicated than French. Unless you're French, of course. Less complicated than any first-year class, virtually. And yet, when it comes to church, and it comes to the things of God, you can be duped into thinking, oh, I can't get it. Don't fall for that. Right? It's a very, very common trap. I'm going to start a, a, a new series, which will run for a very long time, but not consecutively. In other words, we'll have other mini-series in between, but this will probably run for about a, a, a year or more, because there'll be about 40 parts to it. And it will end up as a manual, basically guiding us through foundational truths. There's nothing, listen to me, there's nothing more important in the Scriptures than foundational truths. I love foundations. Right? I think they're, they're so important, but I enjoy them. You're always discovering something that you didn't know before. Always seeing new things. They're fantastic. As I've told you many times, I played snooker for years. I, I loved that sport. And snooker has five basic principles. And if you obey them, you have some chance of potting a ball. You've got to keep your one foot to the side, and this foot has got to be directly lined up with the cue. I don't know if you knew that. You probably didn't want to know that. This arm has got to be at right angles to your foot and the cue. It's a very difficult, unnatural position to get into. Your head has got to be dead straight, and your arm, you must train your arm to move like a pivot. You can't move the upper part of your arm, right? There's, and you must follow through on the stroke. Five basics. If you practice the basics and you operate in the basics, you suddenly begin to see that you can actually pot a ball on the table. It's an incredibly difficult sport. It just looks easy on telly, but it isn't. Do you know what? If you deviate from one of those five, you're going to miss. If you move away, if your elbow goes out, and you'll hear the commentators if you ever watch that. The comment, ah, he moved his foot. He moved his head. He got up off the shot. He didn't follow through. They only have to mention one. And all of a sudden in life, you're on the wrong road. 
You start to get confused. You begin to realize you're, you're not quite with it, not quite getting it. And it's not the trick shots that causes you to lose your way in life or whatever. It's the foundations. It's the basics. What are they? Prayer. Praying individually and collectively. Once you lose that foundation in your life, I guarantee you, 100%, you're going to get lost. You're going to wander. You're not going to know what's coming up. You're going to make stupid decisions, confusing decisions in your life because you abandon prayer. Or Bible study, or fellowship, or faith, operating in faith in your life. Basic foundations. Disciplining yourself, as Pastor Tom was sharing. The Missions Faith Pledge is a discipline, as well as a sacrifice. But it's a great discipline. It's a faith grower. And once you move away from the foundations of Christian living, you fail to pot, you fail to succeed and break through. And it isn't anything complicated. Remember, what was it, Mark's Gospel, somewhere where, where they came to Jesus and said, Lord, why couldn't we drive that demon out? Remember that? What did Jesus say? <laughs> because you don't pray. You couldn't drive the demon out. It wasn't because of some complex theological thing that you didn't understand. It was because you've backslidden from a true prayer life. That's why you couldn't do it. It was a basic. It was a foundation he drew them back to. And so through this series, which I say will go on quite a while, and it's a couple of years away before we're finished, but we need to start somewhere at some time looking at the basic truths. Okay, so we're going to do that today. When the devil wants to destroy a nation, a church, or an individual, he starts with foundations. And you can see that right throughout history. The, the, the psychologist Freud, if you remember, he was kicked to death in Europe one day by a bunch of so-called Christians. But Freud dedicated his, his life. He hated Christians. And he didn't go for the top of the tree. He went for a fundamental thing, guilt. And he devoted his life to the destruction in the belief that a human being could ever feel guilty. And all his works were designed to undermine that foundation within the world. And man, did he do a job. He did an enormous job very influential and still today wow he attacked one of our foundations darwin and we all know about that only too well especially today it's more you know topical today than it's ever been evolution but darwin didn't go for some complex thing darwin attacked the foundations of the church which was primarily the book of genesis so you will do well you will be wise to listen this morning Always tend to your foundations. Always make sure that the basic principles, prayer, fellowship, faith giving, these things are, you know, are, are in place in your life. And you know, do, do not let them slip. Because if they slip, it's not long before the, the house comes down. Right? What, I, I think our day, the day in which we live, is, is utterly fascinating. One of the, 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 the principles we live by, born-again Christians, is that this book is authoritative. We believe that it is the Word of God, the infallible, the inerrant Word of God. That's quite a claim. That's quite a claim. You know what? <laughs> Just tell the truth, okay? If I walk up to someone and I say, I believe this book is completely perfect from cover to cover, a lost person. How on earth do you think they hear that? 
You know, they think I'm crazy, right? I mean, what book is it? How could a book be perfect? And believe me, I have much more reason than you to disbelieve this book. Much more. Because I studied church history. And in church history, you go all through the formation of the canons. But all that did for me, and it rocked many, but it didn't affect my foundation. And I went into Bible college believing with all my heart that the Bible was the inerrant, infallible Word of God, cover to cover. And the more I studied its history, the more I studied its formation, the more convinced I became of that, that God was in it. And if God has ever used you to do anything, to lead someone to the Lord or to go and do something, you will know that God uses people. God's way is to use people. And some people struggle with that. You see, that's why the book came about. That's how the book came about. He came in through people. And some people just can't handle that. But I believe with with all my heart, and I don't have to say this to be politically correct. I don't have to say this because we're a Pentecostal church and that's what I should say. I say it because I believe it. I completely believe it. That the word is inerrant, infallible, unbroken, and has been passed down. In fact, Jesus believed it, right? It is written, he would say. He quoted this book as authoritative at all times. He would always refer them back to it. The Old Testament, of course, in that time, and later the New Testament, it's a long story. But we have been given this by God. And I tell you something else, God speaks to me through it. And you need no more confirmation than that, amen? You open up your Bible, boom, you get a word from the Lord. God would not do that if this was not His infallible word as we have trusted and believed. And when you get those things in place, you can start to stand on something that's solid, the word of God. Now, this foundation, the Bible being the rock on which we stand, this foundation is attacked so much historically, but it's equally attacked today. And the irony is, if you just take a little glance over history, you can see how the Bible has been attacked. You can see when the big attacks came. And you can see what we need to do to put these attacks right. What we need to do to repair the damage that has been done to the church or to our, our nations, our cities. And that's what I want to look at first and foremost today. When we go out, and all of us are we're, we're, we're heavily engaged in evangelism as a church... When you go out and you speak the, 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 the gospel to anyone, you tell them about the cross. Don't answer this, please. How on earth do they hear that? When you go and tell them, you walk up to them and you say to this lost person who maybe has had no Christian background, and you say, you know what you need to do? You need to repent of your sin and you need to put your faith in Jesus Christ. <laughs> that whole sentence has got a lot of problems. Number one, sin. What sin? cross? What cross? Repent? I don't don't know what repentance... What is repentance? And why on earth should I follow this God? I don't believe in God. And without knowing it, we approach the loss with an, an enormous number of preconceptions or assumptions about where they're actually at, where they live, what their world is. Maybe you've been brought up in church, but that's decreasingly the case. They're not brought up in churches. They don't have our background. Increasingly the case that those getting saved are from unchristian backgrounds. Now, the Apostle Paul deals with this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 23. He says this, But we preach Christ crucified, 
I what? What does it say? A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. Let's read it again. It's a great scripture. But we preach Christ crucified. That's what we do too, isn't it? And look at how he describes this message of the cross. It is a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Now, Paul is making a very important point. Look at me a moment. When you walk up, let's say this is a Jew, and let's say this is a Gentile. When I walk up to a Jew, and I say that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you must repent of your sin and turn and put your faith in Him. We're off to a good start. God, no problem. I know who you're talking about. Jesus Christ, yes, there's a Christ. We're waiting for the Messiah. Repent, I know the word repent. It's all through the Torah. It's all through our scriptures. So we're off to a very good start. But there's one thing that is a stumbling block to the Jews. What is it? The Messiah. They don't believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. So Paul says the message of the gospel is a stumbling block, not foolishness. Not foolishness to the Jews. The message of the Christ is not foolishness to those who have a religious background. To those who have a history in God, it's not foolishness. They know who your God is. They understand that a Messiah must come. So it's not foolishness. However, to the Jew, they can't accept it because they couldn't accept Christ. And then Paul shifts. So they stumble over the stumbling stone. Now look at the the non-Jews. He calls them Gentiles. It's everybody. Or Greeks. It's everybody. It's the whole rest of the world. There's Jews and non-Jews. Is the gospel described as a stumbling block to them? No. Foolishness. That's how it's described to them. So we go up to them and we say, you've got to turn from your sin. What sin? You've got to put your faith in God. What God? Just believe what the Bible says. The Bible says, what Bible? And we, 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 we come out with this stuff to a, a secular world and then wonder why our gospel doesn't penetrate. And this is, I say, it's nothing new. Here we are in, 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 in Acts 2,000 years ago. And Paul is dealing with the, the, the very same thing that we deal with. And anyway, like in this country where it was once, you know, you know, so many churches and everything else, and we had revival. And then they slipped back from that. And now we're going the other way again. Now it's becoming such a multi-faith culture within the UK because of all the immigration. Now when you say to people, do you believe in God? It's a question of what God? I've got a million gods. They're Hindus and Buddhists and everything else. So there's a constantly changing audience. And we need to be relevant to the audience to which we're speaking. Relevant to the days in which we live. And uh, praise God for the scripture, right? There it is again. It's just as relevant now as it was then. But we're not. I tell you, the church can be the slowest thing on earth. You know that? When I lived in Ireland and, and, and the economic boom came, you know, I mean, there was an absolute rocket in the economy. I tell you, every business went with it. Every, <coughs> excuse me, politics went with it. Everything went with it. Do you know the last people on board? The church. The scripture says the children of this world can be wiser than the children of God. And so often that's the case, but it shouldn't be. The last people to actually catch what was happening there and, and even to be ahead of it. So Paul's day in regard to these issues is, 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 is no different. What would you do to a Gentile? They're in your office. They're your brothers and sisters. You're talking to them every day. 
What they're, they're very unlikely to be Jews. So what do I do with him? Where do I take him? He doesn't believe in God. He doesn't believe in the gospel. Jesus means nothing. He doesn't think he's a sinner. What do I do with him? Where do I start? Where does he want to start? Where are his questions? Never mind mine. Never mind what I want to say or do my thing. Where is he at? And just a little pause a moment. And considering this lost world and the people in it and the day in which we live. You actually, if you look at Acts chapter 17, look at what Paul did. Acts chapter 17 and verse 24. Paul starts at the right place. Acts chapter 17 verse 24. God int- he introduces God to them. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. The God who made the world. He brings them back to creation. He brings them back to put in a foundation that wasn't there. Excuse me, just look at me a moment. It's really important. He took this man, this city, with no foundation, no history like the Jews, and he brought them back along a biblical road. And he said, let me take you and, and cause you to understand that it was God who made everything. He took them to creation. Now, I don't know if there's any other area of Christian foundations that is under more attack as you live than creation. Name one. I don't know if there's any area that the scholastic systems all over the world are in some headlong mad rush to teach evolution, to make it part of the curriculum. There's high court battles. There's all kinds of battles to try and stop the, the, the biblical teaching which was historically in our schools. And they have succeeded. And the church needs to get up to speed with these issues and be relevant to the day in which we live. Let me tell you this. This is shocking. I was lost. I was in my office. And you know the story. A, a, a doctor came, a medical doctor came on placement with me, sitting beside me, telling me I wasn't saved. What did I ask him? I asked him about creation. I remember I was saying to him, do you believe that Adam lived in 936 or whatever? You know, poke, poke, fun, fun. Foolish? Fool? Do you believe in the flood, doctor? You see? I, I, I didn't talk about the cross. I didn't talk about sin because it had no relevance to me. I was interested in the academic arguments and Paul understands that. These guys don't have our history. So he, and that, he was very, very good actually. His answers were outstanding. They blew my mind. Absolutely blew my mind. I was sharing this when the students arrived. You know, he, he, he sort of made fun of me. You know, you don't believe in the flood. And he said, I'll close your eyes. I'll take you to the beach and I'll open your eyes. And you look out and tell me what you see. I thought, the sea? He said, no, the flood, my friend. It's the water of the flood. And I'd never, I'd never thought of that, never entered my mind. And he began to then take me through, from a doctor's perspective, the life of Adam and the DNA within the body and how, how much they had understood about the clock and how the, the body turns itself off and they can't find the, the switch for life. And I began to be a little bit less cocky. And from my, 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 my place of unbelief, through academia through knowledge, through learning, through listening, I began to walk over towards his foundation that there was a God. 
But it wasn't the cross that brought me there, you understand. Because I'm not a Jew. It wasn't that history either. And it wasn't for them. They, I want you to know, Paul says, that the God we serve created. And he brings them back to the beginning. He brings their feet firmly back to that. And what's the, in fact, if you read on there, you can see that the reaction from that crowd was outstanding. It said that some mocked him, fine. But it said that others said, we want to hear more about this. And it says that still others believed. So our society is very like this. Very like the book of Acts. Not like the Jews at all, because things have changed so rapidly. Scotland's a million miles away from God. In reality... You know, forget your Christian culture history. It's gone, long gone, friends. Long gone. And they are distracted by the world and everything in it. And they do want to know, when you stop the man on the street, he does not want to know about the cross. He has other objections. It is foolishness to him. And whilst I see this all the time when I'm down there, they're, they're almost crying out, you know, well, give me something that I can believe in because I can't believe in this cross thing. And what they're saying is, I have genuine, understandable, you know, intellectual arguments such as creation. Can you tell me how you can say that God made the world in six days and this sort of thing? That's fine, isn't it? Isn't it? That's absolutely fine. Absolutely fine. And thank God the Bible is packed full of, of, of answers to these questions, full of them. Now, you need to understand this, and this does us good as well as them good. This is not a science book. Now, God could have given us a science book if he had wanted to. He could have given us something really complicated. Can you imagine the library that that would have created if God had gone down that road? Have you ever seen the, the equation for light? For light? It's astonishing. It must have about 300 characters in it. It would fill that thing there. And that's just the equation for light. Now, God could have started Genesis with an equation. If you want. But he didn't. Instead, he says simply, and God said, let there be light. And you can't please some people, you see. They say, well, do you want the scientific answer? Or do you want the biblical answer? And you've got to think of it from God's perspective. God, who is sending the scripture, sending his word into the world. Listen, it has got to be able to be disseminated by all cultures, all generations, people of all intelligence levels, all over the world at all time. Whew. How do you put together a book like that? Certainly not with a big long equation. Certainly not. My father just died not long ago, and we were at the funeral. My brother is a priest, Catholic priest, and a very good man. And he had, there was a lot of clergy there, as you can imagine. And he stood up to give the sermon. I felt so sorry for Martin. I thought, what on earth are you going to say, Paul? This is very difficult. He stood up, and my mother's 80, at that time was probably 84. And my brother stood up to give the message. He's older than me. He's wiser than me. And he did a much better job than I ever could have dreamed or thought of. And as he started to speak, I thought, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Do you know what he did? He stood up and he started to talk. Now, he's an, he's an absolute genius. He's a whiz kid. He works in the Vatican. He's a lecturer, doctor of moral theology. He stood up and he started to speak at his own father's funeral. And you know what he talked about? A seed falls into the ground and dies and then grows into a plant 
and then that plant dies and that creates many seeds all the children were there nine children you see so you had the seed you had my father you had the life so simple so simple and I could almost feel the mocking in the crowd <laughs> people thinking oh this is Sunday school Sunday school but you don't understand my mother's 84 85 what shall we give her an equation what shall we do and how am I going to speak to all generations what do you want the scientific way I don't think so and God has given us a sort of a mix there's a text and there's a subtext I know if you read the Bible code not the Da Vinci code the Bible code fascinating you know that every Hebrew letter has a numerical value and even the fastest computers in the world can't disseminate the information quick enough. I don't believe they will over time. But some people say that, that the, the, the Bible is actually a history book of time. And your life. And you're in here somewhere. I, I wouldn't, you know, don't quote me on that. <laughs> but I wouldn't be too surprised at that at all. I wouldn't be surprised at that at all. If I could actually, through the numerical values and the shuffling of them, could actually read Eugene's life story here right I wouldn't be surprised because they can't it's, it's so the mind of God who can who can fathom right so I want you to see that that's why we have a simplistic story because it's not just about you but don't undermine that don't think lightly of it it's got to be done this way because there's so many generations to reach however it creates for us a problem and the problem has grown very, very clearly manifest in our day. The problem is this. You now have kids growing up, and they think like this. They think, when it comes to everything to do with science, I listen to my professors, my teachers, in school, because they're the scientists, not the Bible. <laughs> and when it comes to everything like nice stories, the raising of the dead, Mary and Martha, I go to the church and never the twain shall meet. And our generation is growing up with these two worlds. And as that has increased its grip on the modern society, what's happened is they've drifted further and further away from God. And it's total foolishness now. Now, I, I like to try and keep, it's one of those watch and pray things. It's one of the things we need to watch. I don't trust science at all. I better be careful what I say. There's a lot of scientists here. <laughs> I don't trust science that much. Not that much. I wonder, the textbooks that you are reading, probably out of date, you know. I got it this year. Yeah, probably out of date. They keep on changing them. They change them so quick. They change their minds so quick. It's ridiculous. This hasn't changed, thank God. This doesn't change. God's word is eternal. And the, the, the stupidity of men is this. They will put their faith in the words of fallible men and disregard the infallible word of God. You will stake your life and your eternity on men who change their opinions as they discover more and disregard God's word. How crazy, how stupid is that? I heard a radio program once and they had experts in Big Bang from around the world all together. And, 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 and the, the, the chairman of that group, the, the leading expert, at one point in the discussion, he said this, well, we don't know. <laughs> Correct! 
You don't know, sir. You need one of these. That's what you need. And your scientific world lauds and applauds erstwhile knowledge that fizzles away. Job, what was it? I can't remember, chapter 38. Who is this, God says, wonderful scripture. Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Fantastic. And God, you know, really declares he created the world, etc., etc. Right? So we've got to be very careful that we fully understand the authority of the word of God because that's the basis on which you're going to communicate to the lost. And then we need to be able to take them, understand that's a perfectly understandable objection about the cross. I understand that. Let me take you back to the beginning. Let's have a look at creation. Right? Now, is the, Bi- is the Bible a science book? It could be. It could be. There are many things in here. We've looked at this before. There are many things in here. It's just they're in simplistic form. Einstein. Einstein's one of the most, you know, applauded scientists of all time, right? And what did he discover? We have three dimensions. Einstein very simply discovered the fourth, time. He discovered that time was a physical property. And everybody's shocked. Well, sorry. (laughs) But in a simplistic form, the Bible has always said that time, God always referred to time as physical. Anyway, he said that time was something he would roll up like a scroll, hold in his hand. He talks about time always as a physical thing. Now, Einstein discovered the fourth, but you know there was a 15th century monk who found in Hebrews 16 dimensions that he felt there were that we couldn't perceive. 16 other dimensions. We just get, you know, we see these three dimensions and we think that's it. There are many more dimensions. Now, of course, the, the, the scientific world's beginning to encroach a little bit with dark energy, dark matter, and all that sort of stuff. Fine. But the most important dimension is the spiritual dimension. The most important dimension for anyone to understand and to get in contact with is the dimension who is God Almighty. That's it. There is a spiritual dimension, spirituality. And the more scientific they become, so often the more distant they become from God. So when you speak to people like that, and many of you work in those environments, make sure that you, know, you come down that spiritual road by all means an academic road because they need that as Paul did bringing them back to an historical basis for what he was, you know, bringing to them. But you make sure, you know, treat them as they are. You can't change that person. You've got to meet them where they're at. And they, most often, as I say today, they have no history. No history like maybe we did. So the school systems have really affected the people to whom we are speaking. I've given you extensive notes because I didn't want to leave the cell leaders in in the lurch. But on the second page, and just stay with me as we go through these, if we don't do our job, if we don't go out there and explain to them about the foundations of the Christian faith, about creation, if we don't do our homework, if you like, then this, these are the human philosophies. You should be on the page that says human philosophies. These are the types of philosophies that mankind has come up with. Atheism believes there's no God. Agnosticism, they say we don't know. Animism, spirits are gods. Polytheism, many gods. Dualism, two gods, one one good and one bad. Monotheism, one god. Deism, creator can't control. Theism, creator can control. 
Existentialism, experience as God. Humanism, man as God. Rationalism, reason as God. Materialism, only matter is real. Mysticism, only spirit is real. Monism, matter and spirit are real. Pantheism, all is God. And panentheism, God is in all. So if you weren't confused when you came here this morning, (laughs) you certainly are now. Which one's missing? And the answer is we are. We are. And when they're out there going around in their jobs, they've got the agnostics, they've got the Hindus, they've got whoever ready to give them the message in the world as they perceive it. And where are we? And where is our message? I thank God for the guy who led me to the Lord because he did take me right back. He was able to answer the questions. My questions, as I, I, I repeat, my questions were not about the cross. My questions were that I, I don't believe in Noah's Ark. I don't believe that Adam lived. These were practical questions and they are totally justifiable. Right? Now we obviously can't cover this in a day. It's enough just to bring the topic up and for you to understand the, the nature of the arguments we need to get a grip off. And that's why we're going to do foundations. The second page you'll see there. It should have Genesis. Why is this important written at the top? Genesis, why is this important? The modern day battle, if you like, in the church, probably the biggest battle is against the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis, where we have the account of the creation of the world, the creation of man, the fall of man, and the prophesied redemption of man. And if the devil can destroy that, there is no foundation, if you like, to build anything else on. And that is why we've seen such a huge surge of attack on the book of Genesis. That's why Darwin did what he did. That is why the school systems around the world are trying to teach all, you know, all the kids, you don't believe in this Christian nonsense. Do you understand, folks? Listen to me. Look at me. If you take away the fall, you don't need a cross. If you take away Genesis, that's why the attack is on Genesis. If you don't believe that mankind fell, they want to take away the cross. And then they cr- create all these human philosophies and pump them out there. And, you know, people think they're more convincing than our story. Right? But it's not. It's just that we need to do our job. Amen? Why is Genesis important? And I've given you a list there. Because it gives us the account of the creation of the universe of the solar system, of life and where it came from, of man, of marriage, of evil, of language, of government, of culture, of nations, of religion. And if you take those things away, what have you got? Just man-made religions. And the second paragraph there, it's in Genesis that we find the origins of sin and marriage and the seven-day week and the fall. And what a, what, what, how busy really the devil is in our day to discredit these truths. So we need to be busy to reinforce them. And your, your next page, I'll just look briefly over a couple of points to do with creation and to do with uh, the book of Genesis. For example, the six days of creation. I can fully understand why someone would say the earth was made over millions of years. How on earth can you, you know, an, an intelligent individual here come to me and say that the earth was made in, in, in six days? I'll tell you why. Because God says it was made in six days. And I don't trust carbon dating everything and that's a forensic scientist there saying that's right amen i'm not joking 
So carbon dating, rock dating, geology, and all the rest of it, you've got to be very careful. But people are staking their eternity on this, right? You can't trust it. And we, we've done, actually, we did a, some classes last year just on this very subject. But look at Genesis chapter 1. This is why I believe that God made the earth in six days. Because in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 5, it says this, God called the light day and he called the darkness night. And there was evening and there was morning. What? The first day. Look at verse 8. God called the expanse sky and there was evening and there was morning. What? The second day. And then you go forward, go to verse 13. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. Now look, folks. It wouldn't be right to say that God is emphasizing the fact that he made the church, made, made the world in six days. He's overemphasizing it. He's making sure that for all time there will be no confusion whatsoever in how he made the world, when he made the world, and the amount of time it took him to make the world. It's not just emphasized, it's overemphasized, knowing because God obviously knew full well of the attack that was going to come upon the scriptures. So the world was made in six days, right? Now, of, of course, well, praise God for the modern revelations because they keep on changing their mind, you know? Over and over and over again, they change their mind. But when the devil comes into our society and he starts to say, well, you know, I, yeah, I believe in God. You probably meet them when you're witnessing, right? Oh, I believe in God. I just don't believe in the Bible. I believe in God. I just don't believe in creation. That, you know, I don't believe that story. Well, what sort of a foundation is that? What sort of a foundation? I, my, I, I would fear for such a person. What, have you, what are you standing on? You know, without the scriptures, without the word of God beneath your feet, this, this is his story, his story. And in here is the final rule for faith and doctrine. This, someone once called the Bible the anvil that has worn out many hammers. Hallelujah. So they're attacking this today in, in, in huge numbers and with great skill. And it's the very same thing that happened to Eve in Genesis when the devil walked up to her and said, Eve, did God really say six days? Do you, think he, do you think God really meant six days? And once you start to demolish Genesis and the six days of creation, next you'll demolish Adam's fall. And then you'll demolish your own fall. And then the cross becomes an ornament, a piece of jewelry. And we lose all sight of what the scriptures were given to us to build the church upon and build our faith upon. So the six days of creation stand. The second, the next sheet. What, what about dinosaurs and fossils? Well, again, I've probably got... Uh, this is less difficult, if you like, of an issue because it's, it, it's easier to convince people on this score. Dinosaurs, very simply... The, the, the first time the word dinosaur was ever mentioned was 1841, by the way. It's a, it's a modern word. But in the Bible, they are referred to, in your English translation, they're referred to as dragons in some of the older versions and they're referred to as jackals in some of the modern versions. But dragons are there. You may have heard the Leviathan is commonly spoken. But that was spoken of as a huge beast with a, a, a tail like a cedar tree, etc., etc. So just like all the other animals, and remember, the average dinosaur was the size of a sheep, right? Small, little dinosaurs they were. They were, of course, big ones, but 
the average size was the size of a sheep. So they went into the ark. Now, you say, I don't believe in the ark. Okay, go to Armenia. I've just come back. Go and stand at the bottom of Mount Ararat. You might not be so quick to say you don't believe in the ark. Because when you stand beneath that mountain and you suddenly realize it's not a story in a book, but there's a real mountain and there's three rivers, four rivers actually mentioned in Genesis, and three of them run through that very place, you suddenly think, wow, that was a long time ago. What did you say about that ark, Lord? Wow. And of course, you, again, you can research the ark. It, it's phenomenal what they've discovered, and they've found many things even on that mountaintop. So dinosaurs not so difficult to deal with, and nor are fossils. In fact, I think if you believe what the modern scientific approach to fossils is, I think it's ludicrous anyway. You know? I used to work in a mental hospital, as you know, and I think Brad Pitt has done a film, hasn't he? What was it? Benjamin Butt or something, was it called? That's the one. A man with rapid aging? Is that right? Rapid aging? He's born and he looks very old? It was one of those guys in the hospital I worked in. Now, I don't know what age he was. He was probably in 20s or something like that. But he looked easily 80s, you know. He was very old and, 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 and wrecked completely. And someone brought me up to see him one day. I thought, wow, that's an amazing thing. There you had a human being with a rapid aging process. And of course, they don't understand it. They don't know how it happens and they can't correct it. Now, I don't know how God, you know, I wasn't there. That's what he says in Job. Were you there? Were you there when I made the world? No, you weren't. I wasn't there, so this is the only account I have. And everything else is just conjecture. But when, when it comes to fossils, I don't know how God sped things up and how he slowed things down. I can't quite get that. I just know this, friends. Listen, it's possible. Ask Brad Pitt. <laughs> it's possible. It's possible to take you. You could have been born with a sickness that made you age like 30 years every one year. So it's possible that for whatever way God chose to make the earth, that the impression it leaves behind is that those rocks were millions of years old. Whereas in fact the Bible says the earth is probably thousands of years old. That's what I believe. Probably thousands. We don't have that much of a history. Look at the earth. Just go around. It doesn't go back that far. Not far at all. So it's relatively new. Mankind is relatively new on the earth. And anyway... If I take a fish and I throw it in the ground and it's dead, it doesn't turn into a fossil. It rots. So what do you want about fossil? It doesn't turn into a fossil. What, what would have to happen for that to turn into a fossil? Boom. Catastrophe. A set, this building would have to collapse upon it with an enormous amount of weight and pressure and the chemicals would have to be right. And only then, only a sudden catastrophic event can create a fossil, right? And there's, there's you know, arguments that are being pumped out there. And this is the, the foolishness of following men instead of sticking with your scriptures. And the, and the world won't go on long enough for us to see these things in totality. But I tell you what, we can see enough. I can see enough to say I will put my trust in God. I'll put my trust in God and in His Word. And I don't care if I look foolish to you. It's just that you don't understand the history from which we have come. And the last page, when we get a hold of these people and we start to answer some of their academic problems, which are fine, they're, it's okay for them to do them, they'll end up asking you questions like are on the page 
It's marked suffering, evil, and death. They'll end up coming to you and asking you why their mum died or their dad died or whatever. And that's perfectly fine as well. Why did 9-11 happen? And remember, we've covered this before. Your answer to them is very simple. Why doesn't God do something? He most certainly has done something. He judged the earth in the flood. And he was vexed that he had done it. He was brokenhearted for what he had to do in the destruction of nearly all mankind at that time. God has done something. And he vowed this age that we're in, the age of grace, or the church age as we call it. And that's where we live now. He vowed this period where people could come and be saved. God has done something. He is doing something because there's the, what we call the law of cause and effect. Or a man shall reap what he sowed. There is a judgment that we live in every day. You think God doesn't do anything? I guarantee you, he has, he is every day. And ultimately, he will. He will, in fact, judge me. And he will judge you. And if we can get them from the laughter and foolishness of laughing at us and our message and take them by the hand down the biblical road and explain to them how they have been duped by the Discovery Channel, National Geographic, and maybe their schooling. And they can accept that, like I did. It's exactly what happened to me. He, he affected my foundation. It was a false foundation. And he cracked it. So I wanted his which was the cross, and I began to move. If we can convince them of this, we can bring them then to an understanding of the cross. And ultimately, the cross has no meaning to anybody unless they realize that you're going to be judged. Do you know, I thank God we've been here four years now, and I, I don't even need one hand to count the number of people who have left this church under bad circumstances. That's good going. Hallelujah. Sometimes you need both hands and both feet. Very few people have, but one particular guy left because I said this to him one day. You, you're going to face judgment like all of us. He took offense to that. And he came to see me. He said, you said I was going to be judged. And all my sins are washed away by my Jesus, you know. I couldn't believe it, you know. I said, come in, sit down. I said, I, I, I can't stay with you. you. You said I was going to face a judgment. And all my sins are forgiven. I said, just, I know you come from a tradition. We all do. Let me just explain something to you about your need for the cross. Because I wouldn't want to walk around in life with how you're thinking. The Bible describes you as having three parts. Body, soul, and spirit. And when you repent of your sin and you become born again, you receive the spirit. And the spirit part of you is saved. But only the spirit part. Okay? You've also got a soul which is not saved fully. It's being saved is the way the scripture puts it. It's an ongoing thing. And your body when you die, you'll get a new one. Will be. Is saved, is being saved, and will be saved. Now, this man's problem was he thought he was just one part. The Apostle Paul, when he tries to explain this to similar people, the Apostle Paul goes to the property market actually. And he draws a, a legal term from the world. And he uses this term. He says, you have been... He's trying to convince them that they're going to face a judgment. And these people are saved. And he says, you have been saved. And you have received the Holy Ghost as an earnest. He uses a, a, a term for what, the deposit you pay on a property. 
You have received the Holy Spirit as a down payment from God of a future reality that will be yours if you walk in holiness. So you are one-third saved and there's two-thirds to go. Now, how do you get to the other end? Through judgment, my friend. Through judgment. It's at the judgment seat. It's like a property. Many of you own your own homes. I say, do you own this house? You say, yes, you don't. You've got a mortgage. And until the day that you pay the final payment and the deeds exchange hands, it's actually not your house, even though you say it is. And the scriptures are just like that. The people describe themselves as saved. And that's fine. That's absolutely fine. As long as you have a full understanding of what saved means. It means you're one-third saved. And you, as the Apostle Paul says, for we will all face the judgment seat of Christ. So you see what I'm saying? You, you take them off this laughter and foolishness that they see. You bring them back the biblical road. You show them the fall. And, and, you know, we'll start with creation. Teach them about creation and have something in your mind. Like 1 Peter says, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. Guide them through that. Go and study it. And then bring them back to the cross. They won't receive the cross until they've accepted that and they understand there's a judgment. Because all of us only have one name to mention on judgment day. And it's not yours. It's Jesus Christ died for me. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Let's invite the worship team. Father, we know these things are, 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 are a lot for us to take, but we believe that you can equip us, equip us mentally, spiritually, physically, to go out of this place and to begin to learn how to reach the society in which we live. The God, we give our minds to you. We give our communication to you. We give our attitudes to you that as we witness and speak with the lost, that you will make our tongue as the tongue of a ready writer, able to communicate with them and, and, and lead them through their, 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 their foolish ways of thinking. And just even right now, I want you to think of some people you have been witnessing to. Some family members maybe, or neighbors, or fellow students that perhaps are not saved. And I want you to ask God just to give you insight, revelation, and understanding of how you can reapproach those people and this time change their foundation. God, lead us. Lead us. We pray for all those we are witnessing to. We ask you to make us effective. Thank you for listening to today's program. I trust you have been blessed and edified by what you've heard. I want to ask you to do something, and that is to become a partner with us here at Preparing the Way. By doing so, you can help us to take these essential messages out to many other nations, many other people around the world. You can become a partner by visiting our website, preparingtheway.tv, and there you will find many ways that you can join up. Folks, it is a pleasure and an honor to partner with you in bringing in the end times harvest. God bless you, and once again, thank you for listening.